EcoHealth, your internet radio. Daar zijn goedemiddag en welkom hier op Radio EcoHealth. Vandaag het onze lekker show in een groot competitie wat voorlee hier op die roadtrip show. Je zal met Diederik en uh, ja, so jullie moet lekker luister vandaag. Het gaan baie interessant wees en het gaan alles oor Mikey's Fontaine wat jy twee nachten kan wen in die Lord Milne Hotel dan Mikey's Fontaine en uh, ja, so ons gaan uh, vandag een beetje meer in diepte gaan oor Mikey's Fontaine, maar ek denk ons gaan eerst afskop in die kaap het jy gesê, die druk. Ja, hi, afternoon everybody. Yeah, we're on a road trip, not on a road arrive. So we have to do a bit of a road trip to get into Mikey's Fontaine today. <laughs> and uh, it's short to get into Mikey's Fontaine from Cape Town than it is from Johannesburg or Gauteng. So I thought we'd kick it off out of, out of Cape Town. And Mikey's Fontaine is on the N1, so it's on the main road up north. But as you head out of Cape Town, I mean, it's actually a beautiful road. Even as you're heading out past Belleville, Belleville's not beautiful, but uh, when you go <laughs> over the hills there and it's a clear day, you can actually see False Bay on your right-hand side. And if there's no mist, you can actually see Cape Point and Cape Hunclip. The whole False Bay lies out there as you go over Belleville. And then as you start going sort of out towards Cryfontein, you start hitting the vineyards, you skirt around the northern side of Stellenbosch. Uh, then you, of, of course, get to Paul. And on the left-hand side, you always see the the Paul, um, the Tal Monument. That was one of the focuses of an episode. A couple, I think it was episode number two that we had all the Tal Monumenta dotted around the country, all all eleven of them. Yeah, I and think it's, so. it's a beautiful sight that that beautiful peak on 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 the on Paul Opiparelberg. But then, of course, you head out and you get to the Huguenot Tunnel. Now, that's an amazing piece of engineering. It's 3,900 meters of tunnel that cuts cuts about 20 or 25 minutes off the journey. So the N1 uses the Huguenot Tunnel, the old the R101, which is the old road, still goes up over the Dutoiskloof Pass. Yes, if you've got yes. the time, it's obviously those mountain passes are worth the drive, and the views you get from those passes are are mind-blowing and spectacular. And but, the baboons. And the baboons, of course, you get the baboons <laughs> there. If you stop and leave the doors open, you get a baboon in the front seat exploring your picnic <laughs> basket. But, uh, those, you know, and unfortunately, on some of those, on the, on the old R101, you still get a lot of the trucks that come through there trying to escape the toll fees through the tunnel. Or they, oh, or they don't yeah. have brake lights or something, because the toll, the toll, the tunnel's very, very strict. They stop and they give you like a little mini roadworthy before you go through the tunnel. Um, but I mean, that's always amazing to go through that. And the, the main, what I always find so clever about that Huguenot tunnel is they actually started drilling it from both sides at the same time. And oh. you're talking about 3,900 meters of drilling. And when the two separate tunnels met up, they were three millimeters out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> They were three millimeters out. So how they did that, I don't know. It must have been laser, laser guided stuff or something. The engineers will know um, how how they actually do that. But that that is spectacular engineering to get that through there. Yeah. Do you know when that tunnel was built? It was opened in 1988. 88. Okay. And it's a spectacular piece of engineering. When you go through there, it's all controlled. It's all got cameras in it. It's got smoke detectors, fire alarms. Um, speed control stuff. It's got an escape tunnel every once in a while. There's escape tunnels. There's a parallel tunnel that runs next to the roadway yeah, yeah. in case of any dramas. You know, so it's, it's a spectacular piece of engineering to drive through. I'm, I'm always a bit apprehensive. I don't like tunnels, 
but <laughs> you sort of enjoy the engineering when you drive through there and you're just sort of going, okay, I, I want to see the sunlight on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, but then you start hmm. getting through the more spectacular scenery. You're sort of going through the... Um, the start of the Cape Fold Mountains. Yeah, that is a beautiful place. That is absolutely stunning. Stunning, stunning, stunning countryside. And then, of course, you're heading up towards Worcester. Worcester, known for the um, school for the blind or the handicapped, visually impaired people. That's where I was. You were, oh, okay, you were there. Did not know that. Yeah. Um, and the school uh, for the deaf is also there. Okay. Yeah. Dalabat. We actually stayed in Dalabat Road, just up the road from Dalabat School. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, and in one of my tour guide courses, I learned that um, Worcester was one of the pioneers for handicapped people, where on the traffic lights, they've actually got little audio signals on the traffic lights to help people who are visually impaired actually understand the traffic flows. They don't get murdered by cars and cross (laughs) at the wrong time. Yeah. So I think it's a little audio beep-beep signal or something, as as far as I know. Yeah, here and there in Gauteng, you find some of them. Uh, in uh, specific areas, uh, I suppose it's because there's blind people in that specific area, but you don't find it everywhere. But apparently, they are gonna do more of them. There's on the. I, I, was, I was looking it up this morning just to confirm, and apparently, a couple of cities have got, have got it on the plans to roll out. Yeah. But we know the difference between <laughs> plans and reality in South Africa, so uh, I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. hold my breath on that one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, once you once you through Worcester, you've got uh, one one little place to stop. There is one of our national botanical gardens is actually in Worcester, the Karoo National Botanical Gardens. If you like succulents and that yeah. kind of stuff, another that, interesting fact: my mother actually worked there. Ah, so she right, knows a lot about we're, that. We're right. on home turf here. Home turf. Home turf. <laughs> we're yeah. on home turf. <laughs> But anyway, from, from there, it also, I mean, then, then you're starting to go through some really, really spectacular scenery. You're going past the Matrosberg and yeah. um, through, through to the Durans, and then you hit the Hex River Valley. Yes. And the Hex River Valley is one of the South African legends. Hex, of course, being witch or witchcraft, Hex. Yeah, yeah. And the legend is that in the... Uh, 1768 or thereabouts apparently the story goes a very very pretty girl um, lived, lived there and, uh, and I'm just trying to think of her name Elise or Elisa I think it was and she had a, a lot of suitors yeah. and the Matrusberg is the highest I think it's the highest peak in the western Cape is in that range there and the Cape of course is unique in the world as it is that that tiny little area is one of the botanical kingdoms of the world. And just, I mean, just Table Mountain, for example, has almost got more plant species in the whole of North America. So the the biodiversity in those areas is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a particular Deza, Deza being a very, very spectacular, it's almost like a kind of orchid flower grows on the Matrosberg. Okay. Now, Elisa put the challenge out to all her suitors and said the, the, the guy who could get her this flower would win her hand in marriage. Yes. And unbeknownst to her, the guy she was actually secretly in love with went up the mountain <laughs> and uh, he fell and killed himself. Yeah. And this apparently made her a bit cuckoos and she committed suicide. 
And yeah. her ghost is apparently still haunting that mountain, trying to get her lost lover off the peak. Yeah. I remember that story. <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's one of our enduring legends. And, I mean, you can't yeah. really get away from it when you're driving through the, the, witchy, the witchy mountain pass. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not going to get rid of that name very easily. Yeah. But once you're out of there, you're going up towards Toes River. Toes River now is a bit of a sad little town. It used to be a very, very important railway stop because the steam locos had just gone through the Hex River Valley and climbed that mountain. Yeah. And they obviously needed refilling with water. So that, that's where Toes River started. So the steam locos could stop and retank and then carry on up through the Karoo. Yes. But now that diesel electric has taken over, uh, Toes River unfortunately is becoming a little bit of a, a ghost town, a, a little bit dilapidated. There yeah. is, however, a, a, a beautiful locomotive in town. It's worth going off into town there and uh, going to go and have a, have a look at it. It's a, it's a, it's a Class 23 locomotive in the, in the municipal gardens, uh, dating back from the 1930s, 1940s, um, sure. standing, standing in town. It's a worthwhile little detour to go and have a look at that. But once, you, once you're out of Toes River, you're actually starting now to hit more of the more flattish type of country and there you're at the start of the Karoo yeah and the next town and I'm going to put that in inverted commas town because Mikey's Fontaine um, if you had to put it on an official map I think would cons- you could consider it a settlement not a town yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's big enough to rate as town yeah but about 10 kilometers in before you hit Mikey's Fontaine is actually a little cemetery on the right-hand side of the road. A lot of the graves there obviously related to Mikey's Fontaine. But to get into Mikey's Fontaine, you've actually got to bookmark it because if you're not, if you're not paying attention, you'll actually go screaming past it on the N1. Yeah. It's kind of in a little valley down off, off the road. Yes, yes. Now, that town, Mikey's Fontaine, dates back... To 1884. Now, that's just before the Anglo-Boer War. And it was a Scottish guy by the name of James Douglas Logan who actually started Mikey's Fontaine. Okay. And it developed into a health spa. A health spa. Uh, developed into in those a days. Health, in those days, it developed <laughs> into a health spa. And <laughs> it's not that strange because... Even people like Cecil John Rhodes actually oh, yes. came out from England because he had consumption, what we now know is tuberculosis. Yeah. But because of the breathing difficulty, difficulty, they were sent out to countries that were dry and hot. Because the, the concept at that stage was that the, the moist and the damp was causing the lung issues. Yeah. So the health spa up out of wet, foggy Cape Town, up in the dry and hot Karoo, is where that came from. Yeah. And there's a reasonable water supply there, so you had the baths and you had that kind of stuff. So it was started in 1884. By 1889, the hotel had been built, the, the double-story Milner Hotel. Yes. And, I mean, it's a spectacular building. As you look at it from the front, it's this real old, beautiful Victorian building, all the, the, the sort of frilly lace on the balconies, yeah, little yeah. tower up in the middle. 1899 is the outbreak of the Anglo-Boer War. 
And we discussed this in one or two of the earlier episodes that the British Army at that stage was obviously very tight to the railway, the railway lines. So Mikey's Fontaine was an ideal staging point to use for the British Army. Yes. Now, when you go through Mikey's Fontaine, there's literally, let's call it 20 buildings. And you look at these, and if you go onto the Mikey's Fontaine website, they've got the old photographs there. At that stage, you're talking about 10 thousand troops 10,000 10,000 troops and 20,000 horses <laughs> it was used huge. as a remounting yeah point for the british for the british army it was a staging point for the british army and it makes sense if you look at the geography of mikey's fontaine it commands sort of the main passes down into cape town and during the anglo boer war some of the boer forces actually managed to make it almost in that far um, to actually go and attack Cape Town and attack railway lines and things. So, yes. you know, the British were really, really stuck with that. So, you know, you stand in Mikey's Fontaine and you look out on the, and you can, you can visit the old horse encampment. And, I mean, if you kick the dirt, you can probably still find a couple of old rusty bits and pieces and old pieces of bottle and stuff there. I mean, 10,000 troops leave a lot of mess behind. Yeah, I can imagine. And... You stand there, and I'm right. Right now, you're going to be all alone, and it's a wide open spaces. But you try and imagine the the noise of twenty thousand horses. I mean, twenty thousand horses is is nuts. <laughs> that <laughs> is that is, and wow. That also tells you the sort of the scale of what we're talking about. And just as an aside, every Easter in South Africa, we get the cosmos flowers. And that's a remnant of the Bang Anglo-Boer War because those were little seeds brought in in the horse feed from Argentina. So the horse feed came, comes in, horses eat it, they walk on the roads, they poop, and off comes the little flowers. So every Easter yeah. we have our little reminder of, of the Anglo-Boer War, those beautiful yeah. cosmos flowers. Yeah, I think you mentioned it in one of the yeah. previous uh, episodes as well. That is actually awesome. Yeah, and, and in... Um, <laughs> In 1968, a guy by the name of David Rawdon, now that might be a, a well-known name, he's certainly very well-known in tourism circles, he also established Rawdon's Hotel down in Notting Road in the Natal Midlands. Okay. Very, very well-known um, hotelier. He actually took it over and set, set up the, the Lord Milner Hotel again after, after, after good, good renovations and stuff. And, of course, he was a world-renowned collector of antiques and stuff. Oh. So the hotel is an absolute treasure trove of antiques. And you really feel as if you are going back in time. In time. You're back in the <laughs> late 1800s, early 1900s. And it's not hard. And there's, there's one or two places that I visited around, around the country where you almost feel the ghosts of these characters still sitting in these in these hotels the one place is um the kimberley club when you go into the kimberley club you can actually see cecil john rhodes there you can actually imagine him standing at the pub doing his thing yeah. in the old kimberley club <laughs> and the lord milner hotel in mikey's fontaine is much the same place because you had again you had cecil john rhodes who's who, who stayed there for a while you had Roger kipling Yes. The famous author, Roger Kipling, stayed there. Lord Randolph Churchill, the father of Winston. Okay. Lord Randolph Churchill stayed there as well. You know, and 
it, it gives you that, 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 that atmosphere and that feeling of that old Victorian era. Yes, yes. And one of the more famous characters of that era, and he actually had almost nothing to do with Mike Fontaine, but he's buried there, and we've, we've touched on him before. And that was um, General, Major General Andrew Wauchope. Oh, yes. Now, uh, he Wauchope. was... And you look at these guys' histories, and for us, you know, you want to hop on an aeroplane six, seven, or eight hours later, you're, you're, you're in India, whatever, or however long it takes, or, yes. or whatever. But the, these Victorian characters... I mean, you can you can picture him six foot something. He's got this uniform of the gazillion little medals and badges and the Order of the British Empire and stuff all over him. And this guy, he was a governor in Greece. He served in the Anglo-Egyptian War. Oh my he word! Stood, he stood as a he he stood as a election against Gladstone. Gladstone, who became Prime Minister of England, he stood against Gladstone in England. You know and. These characters, he was part of the, the Anglo-Ashanti War. Okay. You know, so this guy is, is, is mucking about in West Africa. He's in Egypt. He's in Greece. He's in India. He's then done he goes the road into, trip. Then he goes into politics. <laughs> then he's in South Africa. And these are like almost larger-than-life characters. Yes. And you feel those, that presence when you're standing in these hotels amongst all this paraphernalia. You can just imagine these guys coming in. Yeah, that must be awesome. And I mean, this this guy, he, he enlisted in the Black Watch in 1865. Now that's something that's um, pretty close to my heart. I was in a, in a regiment in South Africa that's allied to the Black Watch, the, the Transvaal Scottish. So okay, I quite I, I enjoy the Black Watch stuff. But he eventually comes in as a major general, and. He, he commanded what was called the, the Third Highland Brigade. Okay. And the British sort of have this habit, unfortunately, of whenever there's a big fight coming, they'll, they'll send in the Scottish and the Irish first to get clapped, <laughs> and then they send the English in. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's a bit of revenge on their side, or it's a tribute to the fighting spirit of the Scottish and the Irish. You <laughs> yeah. <know? laughs> one of the two. That's one of the two. And... You can understand the Scottish. I mean, in, the, in World War One, the Germans were deadly scared of the Scottish because they called them the, the devils in skirts. <laughs> <laughs> devils in skirts. <laughs> so, yeah. So at Marcus Fontaine, the Highland Brigade gets get, get gets 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 put into the attack, and the Boers outsmarted the English completely. The English were expecting the Boers to be on top of the hills. And on top of the copies, they send the artillery in and they blast the heck out of the hills and the mountains. Yeah. But the Boers had actually dug themselves in at the bottom. Okay. So they, were, they basically survived the entire artillery bombardment um, completely intact. And that actually dug trenches. And that was almost the beginning of trench warfare. Trench warfare for the first yes. time was being used now properly at Marasfontein. Okay. And the Boers were clever enough over open ground that actually put markers, they put distance markers in. So they could see 500 yards, 1,000 yards, or 200 yards, 500 yards, 1,000 yards, 1,500 yards. And for the Boers to shoot something at 1,000 yards was not a problem. That was their normal hunting. They, they, could, they, could, shoot, yeah. they could shoot a springbok at 1,000 yards from a moving horse. Yes. Yeah. So for, to, stand, to stand in a trench 
and and shoot something from a standstill at a thousand yards wasn't even a challenge. Yeah. So the British got heavily, heavily clapped at Magersfontein. And that battle actually formed a part of what they call Britain's Black Week. Because they suffered defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat during that, those initial stages of the anglo boer War. Wow, that's interesting. And a, a, a connection of mine, and I can only presume he's listening today, and this is a salute to you, sir, um, corrected me because he said to me it really gets him irritated when, when I call it the anglo boer War. It should be the Second War of Freedom. Second War of Freedom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I can, only, I can only imagine he's giggling at me now. But <laughs> Wauchop got killed in that fight. Okay. And again, it shows... The, the, the old kind of tactics, the general is actually in amongst the fighting troops. You yes. don't sort of see that today that often. No, you don't. Uh, the only time I've ever, I've, been, I've seen it in South Africa is a couple of times in Angola when very senior officers were part of attacks. Yes. And you yes. look at like General Constant Fulhun actually drunk, jumped with the parabats at Kasinga. You know, yeah. that, 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 that's, that's kind of serious stuff. But... You know, after the Anglo-Boer War, the generals were not in the trenches in, in World War I. They were yes. sitting in the back somewhere, and the troops were, were, were getting slaughtered. Yeah. But Wauchop gets himself killed at, at Marcus Fontein. His body gets shipped back, but his wish was to be buried with his troops. And somehow he winds up in Mikey's Fontein and not Marcus Fontein. <laughs> and the legend is that a railway clerk misspelt it, and he knew Mikey's Fontein. Yeah, and he yeah. didn't know Marcus Fontaine. So he wrote on the slip, Mikey's Fontaine. Okay. And you can only imagine the, the train of events that led up to this. I mean, it's the railway clerk. Then it's the guys who unload him. Then it's the actual burial party in Mikey's Fontaine looking at this going, okay, we've got a general here. Okay, let's look at the slip. Okay, let's bury him. Then they bury him. And then they put <laughs> a great big headstone up on him. And they put a memorial up to him. You know, yeah. So there's a string of six mistakes yeah. all in a row that now got... Wauchow buried 10 kilometers outside of Mikey's Fontaine. Yes. <laughs> That's larger, absolute large, larger than life characters. And there's another chappy buried there that I, I had to giggle when I, when, I, when I found out about this guy. There's a guy by the name of George Alfred Lohman. Now, Mikey's Fontaine has got what they still call the historic cricket pitch. And I can only imagine trying to play cricket on a dusty piece of dirt and gravel and stones in the Karoo. That's definitely not lords, and there's definitely not nice lush green, and there's certainly not a nice pitch down the middle. Yeah. But Michael Fontaine was actually host to one of the very, very first cricket test matches between South Africa and England. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's, so, that's, yeah, that's one of those weird ones. Yeah. But this Lohman character was an English cricketer, Part of the English side. But he, again, he was one of those guys who, who contracts tuberculosis. And that's why he moved to the Cape Colony out of England to come and live in Mikey's Fontaine. Okay. But as a cricketer, what is very interesting, statistically, he holds the lowest lifetime test bowling average amongst all bowlers ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The lowest average. Yeah. And he also holds the record for the lowest strike rate as a batsman in all of Test history. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And he sits there. Also, he lies down. He lies there now, <laughs> next to General Wildchope. 
And he got a place in history. <laughs> and he's got a place Why? in history now. Because he was basically the, the worst the cricketer. Worst cricketer. <laughs> the worst test cricketer. Is the worst test cricketer ever. <laughs> but look, you know, let's, let's be fair. You don't make a national team if you're a lousy sportsman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you're, you're the lowest scorer amongst the best in the country. But so. <laughs> oh, my soul. <laughs> And the the other the, there's a couple of other graves there. There's a there's a there's a few um, Anglo Boer War graves there. There's there's also um, a guy by the name of John John Maitland Grant, and he was actually the the, the engineer responsible for maintaining the railway line um, between Worcester and Beaufort West. Okay. So he was quite an important character there. He was the chief in charge of that. He was also chief in charge of the waterworks. And. Oh, wow. uh, He's again, again, one of the one of these Englishmen. I and think uh, let's quickly take a break there and uh, go play some music, and we'll be back shortly. Cool. Talking about railways, I can only imagine this train to something. <laughs> <laughs> you know me well. I know you. I've got you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go play it. <laughs> Road Trip Show here on Radio Eco Health. Uh, hope everyone is enjoying the show because I find it very interesting. And uh, yeah, the competition, we're going to start talking about that soon. I think at the end of the show we'll mention it, or should we go into that quickly? Oh, we can go into the, we can go into the competition quickly. Yeah. Okay. I think we're all realizing that um, Mike Fontaine has got an incredible history and an incredible... And I like I like I always like to say like the spider web of little threads that run through history. Yeah, cause we always go back to my Mikey's Fontaine. Somewhere Mikey's Fontaine <laughs> is like a little center of a spider web. Yeah, and what we're running at the moment is we got this competition two two nights for two people complimentary bed and breakfast in the Mikey's Fontaine hotel, and it is the most amazing spot in the evenings as the sun's going down. And there's beautiful words from the, the book, and I'm sure the name will ring a bell with a lot of people, The Story of an African Farm. Okay. I'm sure that lots, lots of little memories are going, little cogs are turning, written by Olive Schreiner. Olive Schreiner being one of our most famous authoresses. And yes. her words, I'm going to read, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to quote here. The full African moon poured down its light from the blue sky into the wide, lonely plain. The dry, sandy earth, with its coating of stunted karoo bushes a few inches high, the low hills that skirted the plain, the milk bushes with their long finger-like leaves, all were touched by a weird and almost oppressive beauty as they lay in the white light. <laughs> I don't have words like that. I've got to, I've got to borrow words like that. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. Those words are so true when you sit on the veranda and it's quiet. There's no traffic. There's no noise in the distance. You've got a jackal calling. You've got the crickets. The stars are incredible. There's no light pollution there. Yeah, and you've yeah. got the Milky Way above. It is absolutely mind-blowingly beautiful yeah. to, to sit in a place like that. 
Now, Olive Shrine obviously wrote those words staying in that hotel. Yeah. And so the, the two nights are up for grabs, guys. We will put links up today on all our, on all our Facebook pages. Road Trip SA's got a massive Facebook page. Eco Health Radio's got a Facebook page. Mikey Fontaine has got a Facebook page. The links on the MikeyFontaine.com yes. website as well to hit the entry forms. And you've got to answer four questions. Now, I don't know. Should I read out the questions that I make people, make people work? Actually, you know what? I'm going to make people work. Go, go and find <laughs> the entry form. Click the link. They are yeah. all related to Mikey's Fontaine. <clears throat> yeah. But the answers you are not going to find on Google. You are not going to find in Wikipedia. You actually have to go. One of them is you have to get onto the Road Trip SA app, the full version of the app, and yeah. look at the spots in Mikey's Fontaine. And the answer to that question is in one of the spots in Mikey Fon- Mikey's Fontaine. Yeah. Then our host here at Radio Eco Health, um, Dierwald, on the weekends is an entertainer as well, and we need to know what his stage name is. Yeah, that's on that's our awesome. Facebook, on Radio Eco Health's uh, Facebook page. So you can hunt Dierwald down. <laughs> then you need to get in and you've got to register... On Road Trip Magazine. It's a free download. It's a free digital magazine. It's an, on freemagazines.co.za. And go look for the edition that has an article on Mikey's Fontaine. Beautifully written, fantastic photographs. And we want to know what mode of transport was used to visit Mikey's Fontaine. Yes. <laughs> the make <laughs> and model of the vehicle used to visit Mikey's Fontaine. Beautiful pictures. In that one, and I can give you a tip, it's about 12 or 13 editions ago. Okay. <laughs> it's not one of the recent editions. You're going to have to look pretty yeah. hard for that one. And then we're going to check up on your email that you've registered for the Mikey's Fontaine newsletter as well. So your entry into to the competition that, yeah. must match. Your email you use for the entry must match your registration on the Mikey's Fontaine website to get their newsletter, and news, the, the newsletter is great. It, it gives you it gives you special deals. It gives you whatever's happening in the hotel, happenings and things like that. Yes. And, guys, you're looking at a two-and-a-half-hour drive out of Cape Town. Friday afternoon, you tell your boss at 2 o'clock you're out of there, 5 o'clock you're drinking a cold, cold something or other on the, on the veranda of the Lord Milner, and you're looking at the stars. So mm-hmm. for the Cape Town guys, it's not even a thought Jobo is going to take a little bit more work to come out of Gauteng to hit Mikey's Fontaine. It's going to take <laughs> yeah. about 14 hours or so to get there. <laughs> <laughs> or you take a flight down to Cape Town and... <laughs> or you fly to Cape Town and then you, and then you drive back up again. Yeah. Uh, you can always take the train as well. If <laughs> you, you really want to. take the train to Mikey's Fontaine. <laughs> but Mikey's Fontaine, in our first, in our first podcast... <clears throat> in our first episode when I was talking to Devout about wrote the Road Trips SA app... Mikey Fontaine is exactly the kind of town why I made the Road Trip SA app. Yeah. It's one of those places that you drive past and you miss. Yes. But when you get into the little town and you really dive into it, you have a good look at what's there. You don't look at the obvious stuff. You know, you actually yes. dive in and you go, what? What have I actually got that I can do here? And Mikey Fontaine is small enough, big enough, whichever way you want to put it. To actually do a little walking tour. You can hire a little self-guided walking tour headpiece. And it will guide you around the town. So you're walking along with your own little personal guide. 
that, 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 that'll tell you where to go, how to walk, what to look at. Yeah. And you can always make it shut up and you can sit down and have a cold beer somewhere in the middle of it and, and, then, <laughs> and then continue on if the Kuru sun gets a little bit too hot. Yeah. But, you know, the, the kind of museums, you're looking, you're looking at, a, at a transport museum there. It's a whole lot of, it's a collection of cars from the 1930s and 1960s. Now, for me, I'm an absolute petrol head when it comes to that kind of stuff. <laughs> Those were motor cars. Yeah, yeah. It's a V something, not not a 1200 sewing machine. It's a V four and a half liter something, whatever, whatever. And, you know, it's, it's got Chevy's Dodges, an old Jaguar MK8 in there. And it's even got two royal cars from King George's uh, 1947 visit to South Africa. The royal yeah. family did a, a world tour after World War II to all the, all the colonies that had participated as part of the Allies. And King George's car is actually parked in the garage there. Yes. And awesome. Princess Elizabeth, now Queen Elizabeth, was actually there as well. Oh, lovely. There's funny antique bicycles. There's an old London bus. There's actually even a London bus tour that you can take around Mikey's Fontaine. Oh, that's A double-decker nice. London bus will drive you around Mikey's Fontaine. That's awesome. Then you've got um, another, another little museum called the Mari, the Mari Rawdon Museum. What's interesting about that one is it has the biggest collection of Anglo-Boer War, sorry, Second Freedom War, Second War of Independence um, <laughs> artifacts. There we go. <laughs> in private possession anywhere in the world. Wow. So Pri- private collection. It's a private collection. You, you're never going to get more than the Anglo-Boer War, sorry, Freedom War in Bloemfontein. Um, if you say so if you if you're really into the Second Anglo-Boer War, the spot to visit is Bloemfontein, the Froa Monument, the Anglo-Boer War official yes. Anglo-Boer War Museum. You can yeah. get lost in there for a day. But the biggest private collection is actually sitting in Mikey's Fontaine. <laughs> and in that room as well, you've got, and I've got to, I've got to pronounce this right, an apothecary, an apothecary. <laughs> What in Do you know what name? an apothecary is? No idea. <laughs> an apothecary is a Victorian word for a pharmacy. Oh. A chemist. Okay. What we now call a chemist, a pharmacy. <laughs> so they've actually got a Victorian-era pharmacy there with all the old bits and pieces and bottles and lotions and potions. And that's when you still got oh, fed wow. cocaine and uh, that kind of stuff as, as medicine. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so, I mean, that, that is an amazing little museum museum to look at so when you win this you can for those two days that you are there or um, you can go through that town at your own pace and go see all these lovely things you got an old station master's office there at the rail at the railway station you know so there's an incredible amount of stuff to do to, to actually go and go and have a look at you can visit the old remount camp Remount. You, the old remount camp where the 20,000 horses were running around doing, doing their thing. Yeah. And um, I'm just trying to find the actual little map here of Mighty's Fontaine on my papers. There we go. You know, and of course, you've got the pub. You've got the Laird's Arm pub. Laird's Arm. The Laird's Arm pub. Okay. And that, 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 that little spot to me is exactly the same as standing in the Kimberley Club. Or even, or even if you know, for those of you who've travelled and have been lucky enough to get up to Victoria Falls, and you sit at the Victoria Falls Hotel, and all three of these places have got something to do with Churchill. Oh, okay. And yes. the Victoria Falls Hotel is a beautiful Victorian era um, hotel built 
It's in Zimbabwe, looking out over the gorge yes. of the Victoria Falls, but built there especially under orders of Cecil John Rhodes. Okay. And he built it exactly in that spot so he could look at his bridge over the Zambezi from where he was eating breakfast. Yes. That's what he wanted. <laughs> so okay. they build a hotel with a view and you can still sit there today on the veranda beautiful beautiful spot and you look down and you can see the bridge the railway bridge over the over the zambezi gorge with a waterfall behind it yeah yeah and you feel you can feel cecil john Rhodes there yes you feel cecil john Rhodes in the kimberley club the kimberley club's an interesting one because there's actually in the um stonework on the floor, on the veranda outside, as you go out the door into little onto the onto the stoopy outside. Yes. There's a copper, I think it's copper, and a metal a metal arrow. Okay. In engraved in the stonework, and that was one of one of Rhodes's little sayings of "Look north, my boy. Look north." Yes. And that's that's in the stonework there. I mean, he's left his legacy in the Kimberley Club, engraved in the stones. Because Cecil Rhodes had this dream of from Cape all the way to Cairo was going to be British territory. Yeah. The the bridge over the Zambezi was one of his legacies. And you sit there in the pub in the Laird's arms and you feel these guys around you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You've got Wauchope. You've got got Cecil John Rhodes. You've got, you know, these these, these larger-than-life characters. Yes. So let's have a look. Where where else else are we looking at? You've got... um, Look, obviously the hotel serves serve some meals. You've got a couple of different places to stay, all under the Lord Milner Hotel. You've got the main, the main hotel. You've got the Olive Shriner Cottage. You've got the Swimming Pool Suite. You've got the Douglas Cottages. You've even, you know, you've got the Muse. And something I forgot to mention, Lord Milner. We've actually spoken about this character before, Lord Milner. Yeah. And he was in episode two when we were talking about the Afrikaans language. Lord oh, Milner yes, yeah. was one of these real English imperialist guys, and he was governor of the Cape Colony at the time of the Anglo-Boer War, hence the name the Lord Milner Hotel. When the hotel was built, he was the chief in charge yes. of the Cape Colony. And he was the guy that in Burgersdorp tore the, English lang- the Afrikaans language monument down. Oh. Don't, you, don't you remember that story? Okay. We've got 11 yeah. language monuments around South Africa, yes. and Milner was absolutely dead set on an anglicization process in South Africa and trying to kill off the Afrikaans language and trying to make everybody little Englishmen. (laughs) And he heard about this language monument and he tore it down and and the monument disappeared. Yes. And eventually it popped up, I think, in King Williamstown. Somehow it went from Burgersdorp all the way to King Williamstown. (laughs) And in the meantime, they'd made a replica of the monument and they'd re-put it up again when they all decided it was all cool and that they weren't sort of trying to carry on the Boer War, and they're having this period yeah. of reconciliation. And they found the old one. It had been a bit broken, but the old one now is next to the replica in Burgersdorp. And that was Lord Milner, the guy who's got his name on the hotel here. Okay. <laughs> so I'm, not, awesome. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not I'm not convinced he was a big friend of South Africans and of Afrikaners. But yeah. uh, <laughs> that, that, that's one of his legacies. And there's a, little, there's a beautiful little church. There's a beautiful church in Mikey's Fontaine. It's called the, the, the Pink Church. The Pink Church. The Pink Church. <laughs> and that is an absolute kind of chocolate box, photographic, dream come true for weddings and for anniversaries and that yeah. kind of stuff. Awesome. You, it's, it's like one of those little picture perfect um, kind yes. of stops. 
you got the old courthouse there. You've got the cricket pitch. I mean, you've got to stand on the cricket pitch. You, got, you can't understand how guys could do sliding saves and stuff on there. You're going to come out with roasties everywhere. <laughs> you, it's, it's not made. You know, the crew's the crew's not made for playing cricket and rugby and stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> it just, just, doesn't, just doesn't work. doesn't work. Yeah, you've got, you know, you've got the old bank building, transport museum. We've covered, we've covered those. The old courthouses there. Um, there's beautiful gardens. What what is quite interesting, and I'm just trying just trying to think the, the the name of it. I think it's I think it's called a petroglyph. Petroglyph. A petroglyph. There's yeah. a there's a walking trail outside of town, um, and it's called the Snake Eagle. It's not a petroglyph. Sorry, I, I misspoke. A geoglyph. It's a called geoglyph. a geoglyph. Okay. The Snake Eagle Thinking Path. Okay. And if you look at it from the top, if you can think of those pictures from South America, you know, where the, the aerial oh. view, you've got that like, like hummingbird and that monkey. And the Nazca lines. The Nazca line stuff. There we go. They've, they've created one. This wasn't done by aliens and some other. This is a relatively new thing. We know who made this one. <laughs> <laughs> but this one's in the, in, the par, in, the, in, the, in the shape of an eagle, a flying eagle. Yes. And... It's a walking path, and it's and it's a footpath, and the, it's it's an interesting one because the entire picture is drawn in one line. Hmm. So the entire eagle, as such, with its feathers, with its tail feathers, with its wing feathers, with its head and its beak, is one it's continuous line. Line, wow! Okay. And the whole idea is that you um, can walk on this and just enjoy the quiet and the ambiance. And, of course, look at the flowers and the, the, the beautiful succulents in the Karoo. The Karoo biome and the nature there is, is absolutely spectacular. But it's one of yes. those things. It's like when you go to Namakoland and the flowers. You, know, you can drive past at 100 kilometers an hour and go, oh, ah, pretty, pretty field of orange flowers. Yes. And it's spectacular. But when you stop and you just stop on the side of the road and you actually go in and take photographs of what is there, in yeah. that little patch, you'll pick up 30, 40 different kinds of flowers. Wow. And the little beetles and the little bees and the little, little insects coming in to pollinate. Yeah, yes. And along with that, you get the little lizards and the stuff. And that's, that's what like this walking path is trying to do. Get you to slow down. Yeah. Get, get off the 140, sorry, 120 kilometers an hour. Everybody's tempted <laughs> 140 on the, on the N1, but don't do it. They've got cameras there. <laughs> they, they, they're very sneaky. The Western Cape cops are very sneaky. They've got... Areas that they actually measure your average speed. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've yes. got a camera up, and then 20 k's later, they've got another camera, and then they measure your average speed over those 20 kilometers. Yeah. So if you are doing 160, stop, have a bathroom break, and then carry on, because then your average speed is still 120. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> but, you know, a place like Mikey's Fontaine is exactly that. It's a slowdown. Get yes. off this highway mentality. Take a breather. Take a breather. Get away from RSAP's disease, that as soon as possible disease. <laughs> and if you're doing a trip to Cape Town from, from Gauteng, or even from, from Cape Town, if you're running up to Gauteng on a Friday afternoon, make, make Mikey's Fontaine your first stop. It's a two-and-a-half-hour drive. It definitely breaks the journey. And yeah. it is the most amazing little stop that, that, that you can actually have. Yeah. So... What other music you got for us? There's got to be another train song in there somewhere. Yes, you are correct. You are correct. <laughs> Luckily this time <laughs> I remembered to put the right cable in. Okay, let's go. Listen. <laughs> 
Okay, Diederik, let's talk about, um, okay, be, yeah, we'll tell them again about the competition at the end. Okay, and you kick off from Mikey's Fontaine. From Mikey's Fontaine, N1, guys, yeah. that's one of those iconic stops. You've got to stop in, you've got to stop in Mikey's Fontaine. Even, even if you don't spend the night there, do yourself a favor. If you're on the N1, pull off and go and just have a look and sit there in Mikey's Fontaine and enjoy that. It's one of the, it's one of the, 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 the little hidden gems, and like I said before, it's one of the reasons I made the app, to get people to actually go and look at these kind of places and look at what that rich yeah. history is that we've actually got there. But anyway, we've now spent our two days or three days in Mikey's Fontaine, and we're heading now back up the N1. Uh, and any respectable road trip, then, you have to stop at the next town called Lanesburg. Oh, yes. Now, Lanesburg... Again, is not a huge town, but in 1981, right at the beginning, January 1981, yes. there was that massive flood in Lanesburg. It was an absolute tragic tragedy. A lot of people lost their lives in that flood. And it's hard to believe when you're driving in that area that Karoo, I mean, it's dry, it's yeah. dusty, it's rocks, it's mountains. Yeah, how could and it flood? <laughs> And you, you get to these little towns along the road. And there's an awful lot of times you arrive at this little town and you go, what in heaven's name made somebody settle here? Why yeah. Why here? It looks no different in anywhere else. But obviously Lanesburg is, is on a water course. It's on a river. Okay. And if you look at the, the actual maps in and around Lanesburg, there's a lot of floodplains and a lot of alluvial plains in and around Lanesburg. So the town was settled because there was a water source there. Yes. And in January 1981, um, that, that, that river came down in flood. Rains in, in, the, in the central areas of the Karoo. I've been in one of those rainstorms before where it's completely dry and there's an, an unbelievable cloud burst. Yes. And it buckets down. And it was actually a lovely trip. It was a, I'd, I'd, got, I'd done a trip down the west coast. And we decided to go from Lambert's Bay to Oatshorn on dirt. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So it took took us a whole day to to do it, but we used farm roads, dirt roads, little district roads. You know, the little road, the little D123, whatever it is. I had good enough maps and stuff in the car. This is pre-GPS days. Yes. And a land road that didn't leak too much oil. (laughs) (laughs) That must have been awesome. And, and we were in the middle of nowhere. And then when the Karoo, it's, one of, it's an amazing place. You drive, it's flat, and you've got little, 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 villa, little valleys and dongas. And yeah. suddenly there's a tiny little white farmhouse with one little vinpumpy there doing its thing, a couple of goats. <laughs> and this guy's 50 k's from anyone. There's not another living soul or house, anything yes. within 50 k's of this place. But we were on one of these farm roads, and this cloud burst happened. And the water was so heavy that we actually lost the road. The oh. water flooded that you couldn't see road or Nothing. verge or anything. There was just a fence in water on either side. Yes. And you, you just stop the car. You look at this, and the water is literally running 20, 30 centimeters deep. Yeah. And 20 minutes later, it's gone. Gone. <laughs> the water's gone. Oops. And wow. there's a couple of puddles. The sun comes out. And um, there you go again. So a place like Lanesburg, that's exactly where it happens. 
But Lanesburg again has got one of those little hidden gems that is worth a visit. And they built a little centre called the Flood Museum Centre. Oh, I've heard of that one. Yeah. And probably 80% of the exhibits there are about the flood. There's actually a flood route in town. You can actually walk or drive the flood route, and they've got little markers in town with with little information boards showing the flood levels. Yes. And you're talking two meters, two and a half meters above road level is where this water was. Sure. It's it's incredible to sit there and think about this, this, this wall of water that came down. Yeah. But... That that little that little museum is is also it's one of those little hidden gems. It's worth having a look at that little museum in Lanesburg, and they've also got a little Africana collection in there, with with stuff from the Foot Trekkers, stuff from the Boer War, and a very very nice exhibit of um, from the Sand People, the Bushmen, the Sand People. Yeah. And their artwork and arrowheads and stuff. So that is obviously collected in that area. So that area, many, many years ago, before the arrival of the Europeans, was populated by the sand people. Yes. And those are just, those are just again, one of those tiny little hidden, hidden gems of that one. And once you're done in Lanesburg and you're carrying on up the N1, again, about 10, 10 12 kilometers outside of Lanesburg, right next to the highway is a completely restored blockhouse. Blockhouse. What's now, a blockhouse again? A blockhouse was one of the eventual strategies of the Second Anglo-Boer War, where the British had realized that they could not catch the Boers. They could not catch the Boers on horseback. The British were infantry. They didn't have the horsemanship. They didn't have the mobility that the Boers had. Yes. And they came up with this plan of building blockhouses. And that's exactly what it is. It's a sodding great big square structure, two, three, sometimes maybe even four stories high. Okay. Two, three bricks thick, little loopholes, tiny little windows with metal shutters on it, a little iron roof on it, and it was garrisoned then by 10 or 12 soldiers. Okay. And a couple of patterns of these things are, are around in South Africa. You've got the square brick ones, you've got the little round ones made of corrugated iron. You know, you had a couple of variations as they yes. were trying to obviously make something effective yeah. and keep the cost down. But they built massive lines of these blockhouses across the countryside. And every blockhouse was within sight of the next one. Oh, yes. So you're okay. looking at a couple of hundred yards away would be the next one. Then, then a couple of hundred yards again, the next one. Next one, yeah. So an incredible expense, an incredible building, an incredible logistics to put this kind of stuff up. And you can only imagine these 10 guys now, you are now detailed to go live in this blockhouse. Yes. And guard the blockhouse. <laughs> it must have been as boring as anything. Yeah. There's nothing to do. It's hot. Yes. There's not enough water. You're sitting in a brick structure with a corrugated iron roof on it. Oof. So it's in effect a little mini oven. Yeah. <laughs> and your job is to monitor that none of the Boer commandos could actually cross the lines of these blockhouses. Yes. So the strategy was to try and actually corral the Boer commandos into certain areas. Yes. They would then have the, um, you know, the the, the blockhouses being manned and they would then put the main force into an area and run massive sweeps through through an area to try and round up the Boers. Yeah. And right next to the highway is one of the best examples of one of those blockhouses 
Again, it's right there. It's just on the other side of the yellow line. Stop. Get out. You're allowed to get into this thing. You're allowed to climb into it. Okay. And imagine being stationed there for six months. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with, with, of course, the ever-present danger of a boar sniping at you from a thousand yards that you're not going to see him. Yes. Because those boars could actually put a bullet right through the porthole. That's wow. how accurate they could shoot. <clears throat> so, yeah, not a, not, a, not a nice way to spend the war. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I think, I think that's us done sort of coming out of, out of Cape Town. We're heading up into, up into the Karoo. And our next, our next spot on the highway is, is, is Liu Hamka. But I Liu think we we'll talk about Liu Hamka next week. Yes, let's <laughs> do that. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed this show. Sorry, they started mixing something there in the background, so there's a lot of noise ah, okay. now. Um, so, yeah, uh, and remember, go check on Radio Eco Health Live's uh, Facebook page. All the questions are there and all the links to the app, to Mikey's Fontaine, uh, to the, uh, where you can, can actually go uh, join like the, 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 the magazine. All those links are there. So just go click on the links, go join up, get the app. It's 149 uh, and the app is yours. Uh, so please go take a look at that. And uh, yeah, win yourself a two-night stay in the Lord Milner Hotel. And uh, yes, uh, let's see what happens, who wins it. Diedrich, thanks. That was, once again, an awesome show. Awesome stuff, dear. Well, maybe, maybe we do next week out of Mikey's Fontaine. Let's see if we can convince a sponsor to take us to Mikey's Fontaine. Yeah, <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> All Thank right. you, guys. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week. Yeah, I, I, die, 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 die